daughters, sisters, and wives. They're gonna change our lives. Big women, big girls. They'll make a better world. Invest in her. Now here's your host, Catherine Gray. Welcome to this week's episode of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, producer, author, and TEDx speaker. And I mentioned TEDx speaker today because I have on a special guest who was the organizer of the TEDx event that I had the pleasure of speaking at this past year. And so the topic of that was called uh, Fund Women, Save the World. I actually have on my Fun Women Save the World shirt today. Uh, I'm so excited because it's a movement that we're doing with uh, the She Angels Foundation, and you can check that out. Meanwhile, I want to give a warm welcome to my special guest, Arena Ferguson. Hi, Arena. Hi, so great to be on here. So great to see you again, Catherine. It has been a year, but we did it. Um, and it so been, just I mean, it hasn't been a year since we did it, but it's been a year, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's been a year, and it's been a year, you know? Yeah, it's been a lot. So I'm so excited to just be on and connect around what's happening. Me too. And I got to tell you, from day one, I've always appreciated your amazing energy. And you have had an incredible life. We're going to talk about that. And then everyone asked me, how can they do a TED Talk? Where can they do a TED Talk? And mm-hmm. I was so honored to be a part of the amazing group of women that you had uh, this past year for the TEDx Delthorne women, which they can visit that website and, and uh, a- apply to speak. Um, as you and I were just talking about. So that's exciting. Um, And I want to talk about, you know, how and why you became an organizer, because you make so many women's dreams come true, uh, including mine. So thank you. I want to say thank you. Um, You're so welcome. Uh, so, you know, I've, before I got to know you, I had the pleasure of reading your book called my good life. Yes. you, it said, it's called My Good Life, One Woman's Quest to Raise Her Special Needs Daughter. And I think right there, everyone can tell that you have had an amazing journey just by the title of the book. Mm-hmm. And I read your book over a weekend. Uh, my wife and I were away on a, a three-day weekend. I said, I'm taking oh, wow. this book. I want to learn about Arena. And I was so moved by your story. I mean, really, like moved to tears, like what a beautiful story you have, especially the, the ending and the outcome. Uh, I think there are women out there that had kids when they were young and they will identify with your story. Uh, but let's start with you grew up in Chicago and at a very young age had a child, right? Yes. And, and I know she's the love of your life as, as are now your husband and your other kids. But, but uh, when you had her, you were a single mom and she was a special needs child. And what that meant was uh, from reading your book, I understand first you realized uh, as a baby that she uh, was deaf mm-hmm. and then uh, came to realize shortly thereafter that she was also autistic. Yes. Now, Anyone who's a single mom knows how hard it is to raise a child. I can't even imagine standing in your shoes. So let's talk first about those early years and then how you ended up 
you know, even living out your dreams of getting a master's at Yale and, and then moving on to write this book and, and then doing the TEDx organizing. So where, gosh, where do we begin? Let's start it when you were raised up in Chicago and, and this life-changing thing happened to you. Thank you for that. No, thank you, Catherine. Thanks for reading the book. It just really, I just couldn't even believe I had the opportunity to release it at the height of the pandemic. Um, it meant so much that it is, the irony is that I started writing the story years ago when I was in summer school before the master's program at Yale. I was in the summer school and, and I actually took notebooks and just started to say, I have to tell our story. At that point, that was 2006. And for the journey to finish this book and to truly tell our story, it's been phenomenal. And so, yes, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I went to uh, a private high school in the inner city of Chicago, but I grew up in like a small working class town called Bellwood, Illinois. And my stepdad and my mom were awesome. Um, just really great parents, really great base of blended family that we had with my dad and visiting him and, and my stepmom on the weekends. And just, I had a great foundation. Um, if I'm honest, my sister really catapulted my standard for excellence. She was a page in Congress. Um, she actually is back in DC right now. In the last couple months, she got to do a full circle, but at 16, she was a congressional page. And it was a phenomenal experience for her. She had gone to the same private high school that I was at. So she charted the course, if I'm honest. She, after that, she went on to Brown. She went on to University of Michigan and she um, was competing with me for a second master's and got her MBA at Notre Dame. I know she was in 2009. And so she has really set the foundation for that, um, though I had a strong foundation. So when I got pregnant with Taylor at 20, she was already like, probably in, it's well into her career because we're seven years apart. And I was in Chicago alone because my parents thought she's the baby. She'll be fine. She's in her sophomore year of college. We're, we're retiring to Florida. And they had literally been down there for 21 years because they, my daughter is 21 and they moved four or five months before I got pregnant with Taylor, a year before I had her. And so as soon as they moved, I found that I was pregnant with this child and I had to switch universities. And so I was at a private Christian Brothers College in the, in the far south suburbs. I had to switch gears and make a decision at that point. Um, and a lot transpired during that time, you know, from my pregnancy, mostly going well to me giving birth to her um, and to her being pretty much knowing in the weeks uh, initially that she was deaf. My mom flew up and stayed with us for a couple months, supported us um, through the process, but I had an apartment. My grandmother lived around the block from us, but she was adamant about creating a level of independence and a foundation that you will live a life on your own. I won't take you guys in and I won't coddle you. And she's so sweet. I mean, she's 92 years old. She has dementia. Um, she's in Florida in a nursing home. Um, and, and she's been, uh, she still is, is my rock because I feel her. Um, so here you were, you're 20 years old, mm -hmm. you're having to be independent, you're having to work, you're going to school, and you have a special needs child. Uh, how did you do this? You know, if I'm honest, I think about this, this last year that the world has gone through and been shaken up in this quarantine, and then this isolation. If I'm honest, I've been quarantined for a long time. And this is why. And I think this is the secret sauce. I really was so deliberate and adamant about my space, my mental, emotional, and physical space. 
I wasn't always perfect, but I was very deliberate in setting us up to win. And so I think it was so helpful for us to have a daily routine. The three or four people are part of our lives. We got up at 5.36 a.m. We, you know, we caught a cab to, though my grandmother lived around the block, I caught a cab to the babysitter, walked from the babysitter to the bus stop and, and went to UIC for school and came back. And, and my, my grandfather did pick Taylor up from school for us. And we just kind of had that afternoon routine of having dinner with my grandparents and then going home um, alone with just me and Taylor. And that happened for uh, almost three years before I graduated and finished in my undergrad. But we were routine. I can count the number of times that we were taken off course. It was very few. And right. even in those times, I learned the lesson. So I think it doesn't mean to live a life alone. It means to live a very deliberate choice life. I, back then, you did this and they could take your child. As a, as a woman of color, you don't get to have mistakes. You don't get to grow into yourself. You have to be a deliberate, focused adult almost immediately. So if I'm honest, that was the secret sauce. My grandparents were definitely um, supportive emotionally. My parents were my financiers of anything. They sought, they made sure that we never hit the poverty line uh, and they made sure that we stayed above bar so that psychologically we would never feel that we were like, just just at a bar that would mess us up though. So. Right, right. So I mean that that's incredible that you got through that. But the 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 fortitude you had and the focus, and I, I think that's great advice to have that intentional life all throughout your life. And I can see mm-hmm. you do that to this day. Um so uh fast forward a bit, uh you um got your education. In fact, you got your master's uh through Yale University. Yeah, yeah. I decided to leave Chicago. This yeah. is, it was a very crucial day. I remember coming home on the train environment. I can, I can talk for hours about environment. Though Chicago was going through a, a, a decent spurt at that time. And I lived in the suburbs. I was coming home on the bus one day to where I lived and no one looked happy. <laughs> and this is not a downer to the city or people. But if I'm honest, I could see where, based on your environment, you can see where you're going. And my mother worked in downtown Chicago. I went to college in downtown Chicago. I remember being on Michigan Avenue. I remember, I felt like I had hit my peak. And And I didn't leave. Sometimes uh, everything's different for different people. Like there are certainly people that could thrive in any city like Chicago. But I think also internally, we have to listen to our insides. And you felt that calling to go to New York. I I felt the calling to go to New York. I applied for a teaching program and I didn't get into the teaching program, but never take a no as a no. I looked in the corner and it said, if you didn't get into this, apply to this one. And I applied to a second one and got in within three weeks. That was our out. I knew I was leaving December 6th of, of 2002. I knew by June I would be gone. I didn't know a soul in New York. I had never been. And I packed our stuff up, got our one-way flights. We slept on my sister's floor the night before, and we were to never return until years later when I reconnected with with my husband. So I get to New York. I do New York Teachers Education Program. Taylor's autism flares up. I make a deliberate decision to pull out of teaching for a year to care for her. And when I went back to school, I wanted to go to only school. So I actually applied for Harvard, Northeastern, and Boston College. And I got into Boston College uh, with the the full scholarship. 
and we took the train to Boston um, and stayed and did Boston for two years. And then I wanted to do doctoral work. So it was recommended by the now um, uh, president of Rutgers, the first black president of Rutgers, the first black dean of Yale College. Um, my mentor, he, um, Jonathan Holloway, he recommended, take go, go and do a second master's, consider that. And I did, I decided to do a second master's at Yale before if I was gonna pursue doctoral work and that's how I got to Yale. Wow, I am so impressed by your path. I mean, but you are just so intentional. You're such an inspiration to anybody listening. Um, And then you met the love of your life. Yes, yes. So I met my husband, we knew each other from high school. Dating was interesting. That's a whole other TEDx talk, right? You have this kid, you have to be intentional. I was not perfect. I am not gonna say I was, but I was very intentional around our space, again, in our environment. And so I knew I would wait my whole life until she was an adult if I needed to, to connect and find love. So I dated, I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to get married. Marriage was not, when people say that marriage is this goal to attain, my goal is to transform a million lives in my lifetime and to help and serve. My goal was not necessarily to get married. And so I sometimes, hope that people shift their perspective and purpose versus the person aspect of it. So my husband did, he, we went to high school together. He was a basketball player. I was a cheerleader. He reached out on, on uh, Facebook and, and DM'd me and said, Hey, I want to know more about you and Taylor. And he was super popular in high school. He was the popular guy. You had to say his whole name together. You couldn't just say it by itself, Jason Ferguson. And so I was like, okay, let's get on the call. And when he got off the call, he said he felt like he could do anything. He felt oh. so he felt so inspired, so so high off of purpose and the and the support that I was giving him even verbally for those 15 minutes. And the rest is history. September 1, 2011, we started talking on the phone and we've been talking on the phone ever since. And and we I did move back to Chicago purposely for a season to date him in person so that I would know if we would get married. And we got um, engaged July 7th of 2011 and got married six weeks later um, in downtown Chicago. And the rest is history. We wanted to have purpose together and we moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, you found your person. You found I found your- my person. I found my person. And it's okay. I think people need to understand too, this whole like soulmate piece, this whole pie in the sky, you know, you want the right person because life is going to get hard anyway. Marriage and partnership, as you know, in partnership is going to be tough, even though, of course, I think your wife is amazing and I don't know anything she can do wrong, whatever, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there, but it's, but you know, it's going to get hard. And so you want to make sure your partner, because their successes are going to be your successes, but their failures are going to be your failures. And so you got to be careful on who you partner with. Absolutely. And now you all have more children. We have three children. Like I, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, who are these people? And (laughs) they're like two years apart. They all look alike. He's out with them now. And, you know, we have four total in our household girls. So say a prayer for him. And then, and, and then I have two stepsons. Um, that he had in my oldest stepson is about to graduate from college and he's 25. And then, yeah. And then I have, I think the younger one is 13 and he goes between um, the, into Africa at the continent and, um, and, and, and between Atlanta with his mom, who's, who's really successful. And then he's able to be, he's fluent in like three languages, really great young man. Wow. So. 
You know, I love your Facebook posts. I just want to say, cause you guys are always having a blast. You're like <laughs> such a beautiful family. The energy literally pours off the page. <laughs> Thank um, you. So I, I mean, I, I always look at them and I say, yep, she has a good life, you know? You know, and I, and I think from the time and it's, you know, to get to, 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 to speak about the good life, I had to realize at a certain point, and this happened to me during my Yale time, I was a single mom. I'm in this small dorm apartment. Um, me and Taylor are watching Princess and the Frog every day. I'm up at three in the morning doing my work. It was a Valentine's day when I started a blog called Good Life. I went and got a tote from, you know, the store downtown in New Haven and I came and we had lunch and I, we also went to Barnes and Noble and that was our very Saturday routine. And it was around Valentine's day. I ended up going out to lunch with, with the gentleman and we weren't necessarily dating, but I realized even though I didn't have a boyfriend, a partner, any husband prospects that my life was good. And I was, I was months from graduating from, from Yale. And I realized that like, I have to look at my life as good right now. Because life, I don't know what this is going to do. And I have to be grateful. And my life has to be good every day, even with just breathing, you know, the anxiety, big, you know, I'm so. a big believer in that. I love what you're saying. Uh, you know, we write in our gratitude journal every night, because every day we do have things yes. to be grateful for, uh, no matter how hard life gets or how crazy the world gets. Uh, if we really are honest with ourselves, something good has happened in each day. And uh, I can really see you're a person that lives uh, your life in, in total gratitude. Yes, you have to be. So uh, let's talk about the TEDx talk because I know everybody wants to know about it. Yes. Uh, I, I loved your story about how you became a TEDx organizer, uh, which means local talks, and you do yours here currently in LA, TEDx Delthorne Women. Um, and you did it because the one you participated in was run so poorly and went so badly that you're like, wait, I could do this even better. And so you started creating your own event, which was really fantastic. Uh, I'd love being <laughs> part you. of it. And you selected other really amazing women that I have uh, stayed in contact with and have been on my show. And um, and I'm just glad that you give us that platform to tell our important message. For me, it was fund women, save the world. I do believe funding women will save the world. And I'm so grateful for you to give me that TEDx platform yes. to tell that story. And you pick the most amazing topics and stories that are really important and it's so important for people to have that platform especially women uh because uh we don't actually have as many ted talks out there as men so i'm glad that you're putting the focus on women doing tedx talks so let's start with that yes yes yeah. definitely you know ted and i happen i swear i did not wear red on purpose this just ends up <laughs> happening that i wear red i should have worn mine yeah. yeah i was like i was like i wore red i could also school you know ted was really in 2018 of january 2018 um i really made the decision you know i, I found out that i was expecting my fourth child um, that was uh, um, just not necessarily really planned, right? And yeah. even though she's exceptional, I love my Winnie Penny. Um, and but I found out I was I was, and I really had hit a wall because I felt kind of disappointed in what I had accomplished up until then. And I know that feels that doesn't make sense to people. 
because they, they can I think everybody goes through that. We go through that because yeah. we have these goals and these aspirations. And so one thing that I wanted to accomplish was a book that I had not finished over the years. And two was a, a TEDx talk that I had tried through different channels to, to get. And so I decided in that January, February time, I was a couple months pregnant with my daughter, I had to pitch and I had to lock in these two goals for the new year. So I sent I off my exactly manuscript. what you mean. And I love yeah. your intentionality. And that's such good advice to people listening because how many people out there are listening to us right now and they want to do a book or they want to do a TED talk. And I love that we both did the same thing. We set our intention and we took the actions and we did it. Nothing can get in your way but you. It's true. It's true. And you really have to make sure that you walk those things out, you know, and make sure that you are intentional about it. And so I did, I pitched to, I looked up and Google like TEDx talks near me. I saw that there was one happening in June. So I reached out to the organizers and found them on LinkedIn and just said, Hey, are you guys accepting applications? She kind of passively got back to me. I kept following up with her in a gentle way. She said, put in your, fill out these questions. And at the end of the day, I was chosen. What they did not know is that I would be seven to eight months pregnant when I did the talk. They actually pushed the date back a month. And I was thinking, that baby might come on stage, but I'm going. (laughs) So I never even told them that I was expecting. I showed up, baby, and my blue, you know, peapod dress on and fully made up. But along the way, if I'm honest, their communication was spotty. So in order to be sure that this worked out, I actually hired my own videographers. And so I get to the event. I do everything. My husband helps me prepare. He keeps telling me, don't memorize it. Memorize the stories. Don't memorize just the words in order. And so I get on, I get on stage. I find out 24 hours ahead of time I'm the first person. I get on stage and my videographers were trying to help them connect the house sound. They couldn't connect. Their videographers weren't even in front of me ready to videotape when I went on. So it was the weirdest thing that's happening. So I get on stage, I'm speaking, and the sound is really messed up because they hadn't listened to my team of women, okay, who told them this is is how you connect it. And so fast forward, I get off stage and my mentor, who was actually a part of our last cohort, she was like, they have to let you do that over. My videographers- that was uh no my, my miss is was um no it was uh Lori, oh Lori was oh, Lori right, was over right. there yeah Lori's five feet tall and she was like no 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 they have to let you do that over and so my videographer she TV media who was only Natalie at the time said they have to let you do that over stay calm we're gonna fight for you so they let me do it over an intermission and oh. so my talk. I had one person in the audience with my husband and then some other guy on his phone, they closed the doors and I was able to do it all over again. You know, wait, Arena, I have to stop you right there. I want to say doing my TEDx talk literally was one of the hardest things I've done in my life. And I can't imagine having to do it over again that day. Like, I really applaud you for that. I mean, can you you imagine that if everything went crazy that day that we did our filming for yours, then you had worked hard for nothing? If something happened and we didn't have, like, in my head, I thought of every scenario imagined, if it went wrong, how I would fix it. That's right. part of leadership. 
Because wow. even if stuff had gone wrong the day of our last recent TEDx Throw Women where you were a part of for your talk, I would have redid it and I would have made it right. And wow. so I think a lot of times some leadership doesn't, it doesn't happen that way for different right. reasons. And, and so thankfully out of my very famous people who were a part of that cohort, they did their talks and their sound was not good. And they, there was no recording, but mine was. And I was so impacted by a woman who emailed after that day. And she said, I'm devastated. This was the biggest day of my life. Where is my video footage? And they didn't have it. And so, but what they did have were the photos from there. And so fast forward, I decided after seeing those photos that I would apply to, I spent 30 minutes on my phone actually applying this. I had a three month old at that point. And And when you say applying, uh, you have to apply to be a TEDx organizer. You have to apply to be a curator. Yes, you have to apply to get a license. And so it's a whole process. One thing I really, a quick piece of advice around TED is I really welcome people to study the brand, to follow the instructions, whether you're a speaker or whether, why not go ahead and study what it's like and what the rules are around curating an event? Because it also helps you empathize with the process and your team that that you're working under once you are a TEDx speaker. Completely get to know the brand. It's an important thing that nobody does. Right. And um, it's uh, their whole idea is ideas worth spreading. Yes. And so it's different than a typical talk. So even if you are a speaker and talk on a typical basis to a group, doing a TED talk is a whole different experience. Whole different. Uh, yeah. And it's not talking just, you know, off the cuff. It's something that you've actually memorized and you know, you feel passionate about and it's an idea worth spreading. You can't be, it can't be promotional in any way or anything like that. It really is its own lane, which is why it's so popular. It's Um, its own lane that changes lives. Ideas worth spreading that, that people get to be impacted from. I listen to them all the time. I listened to one the other day that it was just mind blowing. And um, if people aren't listening to them, uh, you can sign up and they send you TEDx daily uh, mm-hmm. and they highlight certain ones. And um, you can actually Google it on any topic. And it's just amazing. Um, and your TED Talk, they can also find online. Um, yeah, they, they can. They can find it on my reel, but I also have to finish. I have to re-upload it to the TEDx YouTube station. So I'll definitely have to reshare it because mine was the only one out of that cohort. And so right. my reel is available for the short version, but they can find it if they if they put in a search thing on YouTube, Irena Ferguson TEDx. My, my reel and my promo will come up, but the talk will be available by March 1st that, that it'll actually be on the TEDx site. So you think about that. I've, I've curated four events and have hosted 30 speakers, but my talk still has to go up. And so that is something that's interesting as well in the process of it all, not for any reason, but for I just am gonna walk it out, that it also shows you that the branding, the partnership, all of the process, it's a process. And for everyone it's different um, and then the next. So it's, it's definitely a worth leaping into. Yeah, I was really moved by all the speakers that were on our stage. Um, um, and it gave me a platform to talk about, uh, you know, fund women, save the world. I do believe that is what's going to help save the planet is to have more yes. women 
positions of influence, but we have to fund them. They're so underfunded. So I'm very passionate about this. Yes. And I've actually taken the TED Talk and my co-founder and I of the She Angels Foundation, we're making it a movement now. Yes, and so we're going to take it on the road and it's a movement yes. called Fund Women, Save the World. Yes. And uh, we believe that we have to fund uh, female founders of nonprofits that are helping women. So that's what yes. Angels Foundation does. And then She Angel Investors is teaching women to be angel investors uh, so because we need more women in the funding world. There's not enough women that are investors or working at venture capital firms. Um, and that's why we are so underfunded, getting less than 2% of the funding when we should be getting at least over 50%. So we have a long way to go, but I know we can get there. And I yes. am so grateful to you to give me that platform. And thank you for the platform you give to so many important messages uh, that would otherwise not have a, a vehicle to get their TED Talk out there. So kudos to you, Arena. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, giving me the opportunity. Every time I get to talk about, um, you know, TEDx and even my story, my background story, it's just a reminder to keep going. That sometimes we feel like we want, we have these goals for ourselves and you just got to take it day by day and give yourselves breaks and breathers in between and just know that it'll happen. And so, like I said, partner, study, research the brands of people you want to partner with, the TED um, again, it's so many other things. And I'm releasing a TEDx studio series this year, which I'm thrilled about because it gives me another lane in the TED, um, you know, family of sorts. And it's a really a great opportunity to just tell, tell stories and ideas worth spreading. So I love that. And how will they be able to find the TEDx studios? And when do you think that'll launch? Because a lot of people, I know it's something kind of new, so people don't really know about it. Definitely. So TEDx Studio is basically the opportunity and the people can apply to be a curator. Um, it's an opportunity to create content that's geared towards larger ideas we're spreading. And so basically it's an 18 minute video. It can it could include one TEDx talk or it could include, um, you know, sound bites and like sort of like a mini documentary of sorts. And they can find out more about what I'm doing with TEDx um, Deltorn Studio on the TEDx Deltorn Women site at TEDxDeltornWomen.com. So they can still look and see by March 15th that'll launch and they'll have the opportunity to view those on the TEDx YouTube station. I love that. Well, I hope they'll be Googling you and following you on social. Where can they find you on social? They can find me on Instagram at, um, at my good life now, and they can find me on, um, in, on, uh, also on Facebook under Irena Ferguson. Wonderful. And I hope people will get your book, my good life. It's on Amazon. Yes. Yes, yep. definitely purchase the book and they can find that at www.mygoodlifebook.com. And I would love for people to just send me stories of how hopefully the book inspired them. It's only a hundred pages, but I think it's a catalyst to some deeper things. And I talk about TEDx in there as well. I love it. It's a powerful read. Thank you for taking the time to write it so that we can hear your amazing story. And thank you for what you do in the TEDx world. You're amazing. And um, 
I want people to follow you. Uh, also, remember to follow us at uh, She yes. Angel Investors. You can find us on uh, all the regular places and uh, me, Catherine Gray. Um, and we just appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, and thank you for your time, Arena. Everybody remember to invest in her and make it a great week. Thanks, Arena. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Our theme music was created and produced by Lindsay Tomasic.